From VOA Learning English, this is the Economics Report. Greeks will hold elections soon because their parliament failed to elect a new president. Some Greek citizens say they are not looking forward to the elections. Susanna Steiner is one of them. She says the vote should not be happening now. It is the worst time for the economy and for security, she says, and everyone is unhappy. Thakis Volsis is a businessman who agrees with Susanna Steiner. He says the government should have been left to do its work. But he says now that early elections are set for January 25th, Greeks will have to decide whom to vote for. The new Democratic Party of Prime Minister Adonis Samaras controls what has been the ruling coalition in Greece. But the Syriza party is more popular in opinion surveys. Syriza says that if it wins control of parliament, austerity will be history. For years, the government has cut spending in an effort to solve a major debt crisis. Alexis Tsipras is the leader of Syriza. He says the new election will be the beginning of the end for the current leadership. He says the government sank Greece into poverty and worsened unemployment. The Syriza party says it wants to renegotiate two economic rescue plans worth nearly $300 billion. The financial aid came from the European Commission, the European Central Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. They made the aid dependent on Greece enacting strong measures aimed at ending its financial problems. Opponents, however, say the spending cuts and tax increases have harmed the country. Greece now has an unemployment rate of more than 25%. For VOA Learning English, I'm Carolyn Prasuti.
from VOA Learning English, this is the Agriculture Report. A recent study says Burundi is the hungriest place on earth. Each year, the International Food Policy Research Institute releases a Global Hunger Index Report. The 2014 report showed the highest areas of hunger are in Africa, south of the Sahara. The report describes Burundi and Eritrea as areas with high levels of hunger. Poverty, more than 10 years of war, and overpopulation have strongly affected Burundi's economic and food security. Continuing demand for limited resources has created serious problems for the country. Along many of the hillsides in Burundi's northern Ngozi province, workers are digging and planting. They hope to stop fertile soils from sliding away. The United Nations World Food Program is currently paying more than 5,700 local farmers to work other people's lands. The WFP program, Food for Assets, comes after years of local farmers trying and failing to beat hunger by working their own land. 50-year-old Matthias Bukuru is one of the farmers. He says that the $1.25 wage he earns is a large amount compared to what he used to earn. He describes his former farming life as self-enforced slavery. He made just 12 cents a day and he and his family went hungry. The Burundian Civil War ended in 2005 after 12 years of fighting. The conflict left much fertile land untended. The World Food Program says recent studies show that feeding and agricultural programs have reduced malnutrition rates nationwide from 58 to 40 percent. The WFP says Burundi's government wants to wipe out hunger in the country. For VOA Learning English, I'm Carolyn Prasuti.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Health Report. If asked what was the most important health story of 2014, there would be little debate. Ebola has killed more than 8,000 people and infected more than 20,000. These numbers come from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S and the World Health Organization. But this is not the first time the world has heard of Ebola. Every 10 years or so, it would appear in African villages and kill people. The Ebola outbreak that began in 2014 is very different than all that came before. This time, Ebola sickened thousands of people in West Africa. The Ebola outbreak began in rural Guinea, spread to the capital, and crossed into Sierra Leone and Liberia. Misunderstanding, miscommunication, and fear grew with the number of cases. Governments answered that fear by putting infected people in restricted areas. But they also increased education efforts. Today, health workers continue to go door to door looking for possible cases. Ebola has shown the weaknesses in healthcare systems in some of the affected countries. VOA Learning English spoke to a doctor who got Ebola while working with HIV AIDS patients in Liberia. Dr. Rick Sakra says a broken health care system is the biggest issue in Ebola affected areas. But there is progress in efforts to fight the disease. French researchers are developing an Ebola test to provide results in 15 minutes. The current Ebola test takes 24 hours. Japan and the U.S. are also working on faster tests, and Swiss researchers are trying to develop a vaccine to prevent Ebola. For VOA Learning English, I'm Carolyn Prasuti.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Education Report. Not enough American students want to be engineers, mathematicians, or scientists. The Obama administration wants to change that, and it is spending money to do it. The government will invest $3 billion to educate young Americans in science, technology, engineering, and math. The four areas together are known as STEM. Many jobs in the STEM fields will open in the coming years. The U.S. government wants to increase the number of Americans who can get those jobs. But girls appear far less interested in STEM subjects than boys. Only 25% of STEM students are girls. Debbie Sterling is an engineer. She invented a construction toy for girls. The name of the toy is Goldie Blocks. Ms. Sterling hopes Goldie Blocks will help girls become engineers and builders. Experts say parents should do more than just buy toys to interest their daughters in STEM subjects. They should also provide a good education. At school, girls should participate in projects that require teamwork and creative thinking. Women in scientific and technical jobs are also working to encourage young women to explore STEM. One is Anu Tawari. After she had a daughter, she started Technovation Challenge. Technovation offers girls around the world the opportunity to learn how to start a company and become high-tech inventors. Since 2009, over 2,000 girls have developed mobile phone applications. There's a good chance that soon more young women who use mobile phones will also develop programs for them. For VOA Learning English, I'm Carolyn Prasuti.
From VOA Learning English, this is the Technology Report. Technology students in New Jersey answered a challenge. The U.S. Department of Defense wanted someone to build an underwater robot. The students are with the Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey. They successfully designed and built a robot for uncovering unexploded mines at the bottom of the sea. The underwater vehicle is called Perseus II. The students recently tested Perseus II in a 95-meter-long tank of water at the Stevens Institute of Technology. The robot costs about $15,000 to build. The students use a video game controller to direct its movements. Devices known as thrusters enable the robot to go up, down, and toward its target in the water. Video cameras on the robot send images back to a computer through a 13-meter-long cable. Perseus II also has a set of lasers. They are used to measure the size of an object. The robot is the creation of five undergraduate students. They worked over six months to design and build Perseus II. Michael DeLorne supervised the project. He says the specialized requirements of the robot were demanding. For example, it has to determine if an object in the water is dangerous or not. Michael DeLorne says the students had resourceful solutions for difficult problems like how to control the position of the robot while underwater. They also developed a low-cost method to mark the location of whatever objects they found. Perseus II was successfully tested in Florida with similar robots built at other engineering schools. For VOA Learning English, I'm Carolyn Persuti. Hi, I'm Tony Thacker. I'm the Executive Director of the Wally Parks NHRA Motorsports Museum. I'm here at the SEMA show with my good friend Dan Webb, who is unveiling a recreation of the 1951 SoCal Streamliner, which got destroyed in uh, Daytona. Dan is very famous for building some really awesome uh, street rods over the years, and I think we were at the Grand National Roadster Show uh, this year in LA, and we were talking about what he wanted to build next, and uh, he said, hey, what about building the SoCal Streamliner? You know, it got destroyed, nobody's ever seen it. Wouldn't that be a great tribute to uh, Alex Exidius? You know, who's a hero of all of us? So, you know, Alex said yes, the SoCal Speed said yes, and so Dan built it in 90 days. We didn't have very much. There was a cutaway drawing in Hot Rod Magazine in 1951, and we had about 30 photographs that Alex had taken in the day. 
So we gave all that stuff to Dan and he used his magic and just recreated the car down to, you know, the finest detail. I mean, it's, it's dead nuts. And this had a Model T chassis and in 1950 it went 210.92 miles an hour on a Model T chassis. And it's just great, you know, it's just fantastic that, you know, guys had the guts to do that stuff back then with minimal safety equipment. You know, maybe a you know, motorcycle helmet and a t-shirt and a lap belt from an airplane. That was it. Well, the SEMA show is incredible. I worked for SEMA for eight years and I think it's just like the mecca of our industry. You know, our industry's it's huge. It's all about all sorts of stuff. So you can be looking at a, you know, a Mustang one minute. You can be looking at the SoCal Streamliner the next. You can be looking at real Bonneville cars. I mean, there's so many things here to look at and it's all inspirational. You know, it just shows the creativity of all the people in our industry, whether they're, you know, teenagers or whether they're 90 years old. We decided to build